0: Go ahead and uh, take out your Bibles. Turn to the book of Jonah. We are going to be continuing our study through the book of Jonah. As we continue in our series, Majoring in the Minors. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, as we turn and we go into your word, I pray, Father, that you would... Speak to us from your word. And as you speak to us from your word, Lord, help us to understand so that we can obey your word as well. Give us the strength. Give us your spirit. And give us a heart of obedience. And help us to see that as we walk in obedience with you, Father God, we will see your power unleashed in our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Title of the message is Obedience. Running with God. Actually, I changed that. It's walking with God, and, and I'll get to that in a moment. But it's a difficult thing to obey, isn't it? In order to obey, it requires that we put aside our own wants, our own desires. It requires us to set aside our own will in order to fulfill the request of another. There's a lot of reasons why we should obey. We obey because we want to please the other person We don't want to be displeasing, and so we obey just out of the sense of we want to be pleasing. As kids, we grow up and we understand this. Obedience is less painful. As you are being disciplined for obedience, it's never a pleasant thing. But we also learn as we're growing up that obedience brings us better privileges, right? No one's gonna reward their kids as they're growing up with disobedience by giving them more privilege, more freedom, more uh, freedom to uh, go out and do things. With, the more you're disobedient, the tighter the reins, the more close you're fenced in and, and held in. And we know that disobedience comes with consequences that are not pleasant. But I believe this morning, what God wants us to see, what we're going to see, is that another reason to obey is because obedience comes with reward. As we've been going through this study with Jonah, we've seen him start off in disobedience. Disobedience at its base definition, disobedience of God at its base definition is sin, James the Apostle said, To him who knows to do good but does not do it, to him it is sin. God, when he leads us in every way, he leads us only in goodness, only in righteousness. Our God is a good God. He he can't be any other. He will not lead us in anything that's not good. And therefore, whatever he asks us to do, it's for good. And so if we don't do the good that we know to do, it's sin. Disobedience to God is sin. Sin. And you can find that if you want to refer to it later. It's James 4, 17. Jonah in the belly of the fish, he relented, he repented, he promised to fulfill and obey his calling. He went from running from God and he ran to God. But when it comes to obeying what I want us to see, uh, and a lot of people have titled this running with God, but I want us to see it more so as a walk. Obedience is a walk. It's not a run. It's not even a jog. Obedience is walking with God, and when we walk, we walk by faith. Spurgeon said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He who obeys God trusts God. He who trusts God obeys God. Trust and faith, or I'm sorry, trust and obedience are inextricably linked Together, When we walk in faith with God, we are being obedient to God. And here's the promise of reward in that. It's in our obedience to God when we will see the power of God. But we have to submit to doing it God's way in order for us to see God's miraculous power and God's miraculous results. And if I dare say it this way, faithful obedience is the secret of spiritual power. Jonah 3, verse 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and he proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast, they dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster He had threatened them with, and He did not do it. Obedience with God starts with a new beginning. Obedience with God starts with a new beginning. In verses one through three, we see the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. And so Jonah got up, went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. And now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. I want you to see this. Jonah, who had run off and avoided God, came back and repented to God, And most of us at that point, we go, that's it. God's done with me. But it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That shows the amazing love of God towards his wayward people, which gives me hope. Jonah was adamantly opposed to following God's first call. But God brought Jonah to a place of surrender and repentance and and we think God brought me here and now I'm repenting And, and I feel the anguish in my soul that I was disobedient to God and we think God's done with me. He can't use me anymore. I'm now out of the ministry. But we see that God calls Jonah again. Jonah got A second chance. And I'm going to date myself, but there is a band that I really loved growing up with as I grew in my Christian faith. It's a pop punk band. Their name is Stellar Cart. And they have a song called Second Chances. And the refrain from that song says, There will always be second chances, and you'll always be on your first try. And I just thought that, that that's amazing and it speaks to the graciousness of God graciously giving us second chances. And He gives it not out of obligation. He gives it out of mercy and grace. But if you think about it, the fact that God gives us second chances, we blow it and we come to Him and He sets us up and He starts us over. It's it's not, well here you go. Don't mess up again like you did before. Quit being a mess up. It's God going, okay, let's start again. Let's start again. It's like in basketball. When you're playing basketball and you and when I make this horrible shot and it's just this terrible airball, I'm like, okay, I get a do-over. I want a do-over. Well, in our walk with God, when we come back and we repent and we come back to God and we step out in obedience again, it's our do-over. God is giving us a new beginning, a place to start from in his forgiveness, in his grace. The Lord repeats the call to Jonah almost verbatim. And we get the idea that Jonah got the chance to start over. He got a do-over, a new beginning. When you're ready to quit running and start obeying, God has a second chance for you. And God graciously gives second chances and new beginnings, not because he's obligated to, but because it's from his mercy and his grace. And that's important to me and it should be important to you because whether we want to admit it or not, we are all like Jonah or we have all been like Jonah at some point. In fact, Isaiah said it best. He said, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. Because even as believers in God, we are capable of, Of choosing to operate in our flesh. Jonah was a man of God. He was a prophet of God, yet he refused the call of God and he ran off from God and we are all capable of this. The Bible is replete with examples of this. Abraham was given the promise of God. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Your your descendants will be so numerous you can't even count them with the sands, the grains of the sand, the stars in the sky. Abraham goes, you know what? God promised me a son. He's not fulfilling it. I know it. He, He needs me to help him out. And so he says, it's okay, God. I don't have to have a son from Sarah. It doesn't have to necessarily be our son. I will have my, ser- my wife's servant. We'll have a son that way. And you can call him my son, and it'll be okay. I'll help you out, God. And he ended up fathering a child through his wife's servant in disobedience to God. On top of that, there's other times where he's traveling through a foreign land and he tells Sarah, hey, you know what? I mean, look at you. When these guys see you, they're going to kill me and take you, okay? So here's what I want you to do. Just tell them you're my sister. She goes, okay. Twice he does this. Both times she says okay and she agrees to it. And both times she gets taken. I think after the second, no, 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 I'm not doing that again. But here's the crazy part. He disobeyed God, yet he still became the father of many nations. God still fulfilled his promise. God still gave him the son of promise, Isaac. David, King David, committed adultery. And in order to hide it, he, he also committed murder. But he's still known as a man after God's own heart. And there's no asterisk next to his name except for when he did this. He was a man known after God's own heart. Even the apostle Peter, bold and courageous Peter, who promised the Lord, Lord, everybody else is going to desert you, but not me. Not I. And on the same night in which Jesus was betrayed and taken, Peter is now surrounded by other people who don't follow Jesus, and they're like, hey, you're with him. And he goes, no, I'm not. And they said, no, 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 I saw you with him. And he goes, no, that wasn't me. It's probably my twin brother, I'm sure. Um, eater. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said it again. No, you sound just like him, like you're from the same area and everything. And he, and he, and he even goes so far as to, he profanely says, No, I'm not. He denied our Lord and Savior. Yet when Jesus rose from the grave, he went to Peter and he restored Peter, saying, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter became one of the greatest preachers full of boldness and faith in Christ in the book of Acts because he had a new beginning. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time time and it's saying get up go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to see this time the call was not to cry out against the city now he says I want you to go and preach to it another chance to fulfill God's call for him but there is a change that God has made now Jonah is going to go and preach to Nineveh but the message the Lord says I will give you the message it's not going to be your own The Lord says, preach the message I tell you. At this point, Jonah doesn't even have the message that he's going to preach. He just has to simply go and await the Lord for the next step. And oftentimes we get caught up in the message that God tells us to go and preach. And that's a lot of the times why we run in disobedience from God because we're so worried about that message that we have to teach. But we don't understand God's going to give us the word to teach it. God's going to give us that. We don't have to come up with our own words. The, the message is not to be our own. There's no power in our own words. He's just supposed to simply go and await the Lord for the next step. God works in similar fashion with us. We get irritated in our own flesh. We're like, gosh, I, all I know is the next step. I should know the next five steps. I want to be able to plan my, Lord, help me to plan my life so that I can fit you in. And Jonah's an example to us as to why God does it this way, though, right? The reason why God only reveals to us the next step is because when he gave Jonah the big picture, Jonah said, no, I'm done, I'm not going. Because many of us, when God says, I want you to be a missionary, we're like, okay. And when God says, I want you to be a missionary in a foreign country, we're like, all right, I can do that. And when God says, I want you to be a foreign missionary in the country Iran, we say, no, well, hold up there, Lord. That's dangerous. I don't want to go there. If he showed it to us, I want you to go and be a missionary in Iran, we'd just say no. But if we're already committed to being a missionary for the Lord and we keep going at the next step, we're already there. He's making it possible for us to be obedient. And um, God told Jonah what he would say, that God told Jonah what he would say in Nineveh. Jonah reflect, rejected it and fled. I'm mints and words together. Sorry about that. Like with Jonah, God will only reveal to us what we can handle and what we can obey at that time. Now, this doesn't go along the lines of God only gives those what they can handle, but this is only what we can handle in His grace. He never gives us more than what He will give us grace to handle. So Jonah, upon receiving the word of the Lord this time, responds in obedience. He responds according to the Lord's command. And that's something we need to understand. Obedience is a daily choice, and you might even have to make that choice multiple times per day, maybe even multiple times per hour to obey or not obey. You face that choice. But here's the beauty in that the grace that you find at the feet of the Father. You may choose to not obey initially. And then later have another chance to choose to obey. Perhaps you ignore the Holy Spirit telling you to share about Jesus and his power in your life. Of his help or, or anything like that. And, and I'll share a little personal story. Many of you don't know this. But from the age of 12 to about 24 I smoked. I was a chain smoker. I worked at a job in those last few years of being a smoker, that they knew me as a smoker, and then all of a sudden, they noticed that I wasn't smoking. And they asked me about it. And it was this opportunity for me to share that my relationship with Christ, and His power in my life, helped me to kick the habit cold turkey. But instead, I didn't. And instantly after that conversation, I felt like the Lord told me, that was an opportunity to share what I've done in your life. And and I've been broken over it ever since that now, whenever I get the opportunity to share what God has done in my life, I share it because I know he's providing that opportunity. And he does that with us as well. We're going to feel that prompting the Holy spirit to share and to, and to do that. And it's a step of obedience to share what God has done in your life. Maybe he's calling you to help someone. And and, and maybe it's someone that you wouldn't normally help. Maybe he's calling you to give, whether it's your uh, time, your effort, or your money. Maybe reading in your Bible, you come across something that you don't like and you're like, there's no way I can obey that. Lord, do you you even know what you're saying? Like, do you understand how the world works, Lord? There's times where we might tell God that and we're like, I'm not gonna obey it because it just doesn't work. You might even be sitting here and hearing something that the Lord speaks through me and you might think there's no way. I'm not doing that. I can't obey. Perhaps it's God calling you to pick something up. He wants you to start doing something. You're like, I can't do that. I'm not gonna, I don't have time for that. What are you talking about? Or maybe he wants you to put something down. And you're like, wait, I like that thing. What are you doing? Like, you're cutting off my arm, Lord. And it, you initially resist. And as maybe you're resisting that, I want you to call and to remember Jonah's call to Nineveh. Before you choose to disobey, consider this truth that the choice to disobey can only bring consequence, can only bring more burden. But obedience allows the storehouse of blessing to be opened up for you. Notice I. Didn't say that it causes it and and exactly follows, but it allows for it to be open. God will not open up blessing while you're in disobedience, but he will while you're obeying. Doesn't make obedience any easier, right? Obedience is still hard. If it wasn't, everybody would be doing it. But not only is there new beginnings when we choose to obey, but there is power in obedience. Look at verses 4 through 9. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city, and he proclaimed, In 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. And then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When the, word of the, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everybody must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways, from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Now, there's power in obedience, and we see Jonah obeying. Jonah set out on the first day of his uh, three-day walk. And it says, on the first day of his walk in the city, then he proclaimed. And this doesn't mean that he walked for a whole day and then proclaimed. What I read this as is that as he walked in that first day, he began proclaiming. Like as soon as he entered into Nineveh, he started proclaiming that message that the Lord gave him. And what was the message that the Lord gave him? Short, simple. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And consider this that word demolished is the same word that is used when it's talking about God overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah. Completely, totally wiped out off the face of the earth. You might look at that message and you go, that's a short message. But guess what? Many commentators say, oh, that's just a summary of his message. That's just the main point of it. But when I read in my Bible, it says, the Lord said, I will give you the message to speak. And then it says, this is the message he spoke. I connect the two and I go, that must be the message God gave him. And we try to go, oh, he had to have said more. There's no way that that did anything. What are you talking about? Those short messages? And, and that's how we get caught up. God gives us the message to speak, and we go, oh, can't just be that, i got to add more to it. i got to be clever, i got to come up with a whole bunch of other things to do. I'm sure Jonah could have said, you know what, I think it would be better if we said this, Lord. What if we do that? We sometimes have our own choice words that we want to share and speak, but in order to be obedient to the Lord, we have to speak His message and His word only. It would do you no good if I sat up here and I just gave you a whole bunch of my great sayings and my great, because they're actually not all that great. It sounds like I might put together great thing, but you know what it's coming from? Teaching the word of God. That's why I told the Lord when he called me to share his word, I said, I can do that because it's verse by verse. I don't have to come up with something fancy and something sly and clever to tell you guys. All I got to do is teach the word verse by verse. It's God's message. I'm not adding anything to it. All I'm doing is spending time studying so that I understand it and I can communicate it. And if you understand it at all, that has nothing to do with me. That has everything to do with God's word having a power of its own. And we need to start trusting in that again. We need to start trusting in the power of the word of the Lord. What was the result of the simple and short message upon the Ninevites? It says, then they believed... They exercised faith and trust. What did they exercise faith and trust in? The word proclaimed. Who were they trusting in? Was it Jonah because he proclaimed the word? No, it's God because it's God's word that Jonah's proclaiming. They trusted the message he spoke. They they recognized that the message is coming from God and that it was true. They could have said, oh, we're going to be destroyed. Yeah, whatever. Don't you know we're in Nineveh? But they heard it. It moved fast from the preaching to the believing. And we might be tempted to think that somehow Jonah had something to do with that. Maybe Jonah was an imposing, maybe he had a great James Earl Jones voice. Maybe he was fiery speaking, eloquent words. Maybe he challenged people, made them ponder and think and consider, Oh, yes, I'm clearly on the wrong path in life and I should have done something else. It wasn't great philosophical argument. It wasn't great um, ontological arguments or any type of uh, apologetics or anything. It never has anything to do with the speaker when people believe the message of God. It's not Jonah's rhetoric. It's not his oratory skill that persuaded them. It's God. It's Yahweh working through his obedience and working through Jonah's obedience to proclaim the message of God That's all we have to do. That's all I'm called to do is to proclaim the message of God. I'm not responsible for the results. And that's a great encouragement for me because all I have to do is is proclaim God's message. I'm not responsible to make anybody believe it, make anybody follow it, for it to change anybody's life. I am only responsible to be faithful and obedient in proclaiming His message. At the end of time, when I stand before God and He says, you proclaimed my word even if nobody believes, even if nobody's converted, even if nobody's changed by it, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you go and and you share a message God tells you to share and it doesn't change anybody's life, he's not going to say, hey, you totally failed. I don't even want you here. He's going to say, you faithfully did what I called you to do. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The response to the word is the work of the Holy Spirit applying the word to us. That's the way it works. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The word of God is proclaimed and preached and it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world, who leads the believers in all righteousness and truth. And here's the truth. God does remarkable things when we're obedient to him and leave the results to him. It is only our job to obey and God's job to take care of the results. Doesn't that take a weight off our shoulders? I don't have to convince anybody of anything. I don't have to make anybody believe. Because if it was up to me and I had to make you all believe, there'd be a whole different way that we'd do the altar calls. There'd be a whole different way. But since it's up to God... I proclaim his truth, his message, and it's his word that has the power to transform your life. There's power when we obey God. And we'll see the power of God unleashed as we obey him. Faith never rests on the messenger, but it rests in the God who gives the message. That's what we need to know. So how do we know Nineveh truly believed the message, though? It says that they believed it, but how do we know they did? But we see action. They acted upon hearing the word of God. They dressed in sackcloth, they proclaimed a fast and it went from the greatest of them to the least of them. There was none that said, you know what? This doesn't apply to me. They all said, no, we need this we gotta do this. And the word of God changed their actions and they reacted to the word instead of ignoring the word. When we exercise faith in God's Word, it's because we change our actions in accordance with His Word. True faith is always demonstrated in actions of obedience. We cannot say we believe in God, and we believe God is our Lord, and our Savior, and our Master, and our God, if we won't obey Him in all things one of the greatest contradictory statements in all of the Bible is, no Lord. How can you tell your Lord and master, no? And check it out, the word even reached the king. It reached him, not that it finally got to him like through some thing where everybody's like, "Hey, did you hear what Jonah said? Hey, did you hear what Jonah said? Hey, did you hear this message and finally it got to him? But the king himself heard the message, and it reached him. It reached into his heart and it struck him. It caused even the king to rise and he came up off his throne and he went into a change. He took off his royal robe And he dressed in sackcloth and he sat upon an ash heap. He demonstrated faith in God's word of coming doom and it caused them all to go into a state of humility and sorrow. I don't know of any king who in their royal wardrobe includes sackcloth. It's not comfortable. It's not meant to be comfortable. It's to remind us that we are not to seek comfort in this life. We are to seek obedience. And the king, upon doing that, issued a decree proclaiming a fast of people and animals. He said, everybody needs to fast, all the people and even the animals. And they have to also be clothed in sackcloth. The animals won't be comfortable either. And they need to call out earnestly to God while turning away from evil and wrongdoing. Now, if you're very... uh, uh, observing reader if you're very observational you probably notice that nowhere in that passage do you see repent repentance isn't found in the passage but we know they repented because repentance isn't something that you say repentance is something you do if repentance is anything it's for sure this it's not business as usual if you hear the word of the Lord and you continue doing the things you're doing anyway you're not repentant Repentance brings with it a change of direction, a difference in choice, a difference in action. Nineveh took off all their normal clothes and put on sackcloth. Nineveh turned away from their normal way of life of committing evil and doing wrongdoing and they turned to crying out to the Lord earnestly. And there's something interesting about repentance that I see here. And it's repentance is not something that you must do to turn to God. It's the very process of turning to God. When we truly turn to him, it's because we're turning away from all the things that displease him. And what was the reason why they turned to God and they repented and they and, and and they changed from all this? What was the main reason? Was it because God said, "Hey, if you do this, I promise I'll give you a hundred million dollars"? Oh yeah, well I could do it for that. Repentance came because they believed the message of God. They believed God said, "I'm going to destroy you. You will be demolished," and they did it with, who knows, God might relent because. If God was intent on destroying them, do you really think he would bother sending a preacher to come and preach to them? Why would he bother sending Jonah to say, hey, I'm going to destroy you? Is it just because God likes to announce what he's going to do? Or is it because he might be providing them an opportunity to change and repent? If you're hearing the word of God coming to you saying, hey, this is going to happen. If you, if you feel like judgment is coming against you and God is speaking against you, it's not because he's already done with you. It's because he wants you to repent. He wants to start you again on the path of obedience. There's no guarantee, but they repented with the hopes of God's grace and mercy. Why would he be sharing this message if he wasn't also providing opportunity? That's where the hope of repentance lies, in God's mercy and his love. Now this change that we see in Nineveh, I want you to know that's the greatest revival in all of history and all of the Bible. It's estimated there was about 650,000 people in the city and they came to faith in God under the obedience of Jonah and the power of God working through Jonah proclaiming the message of God. And that's, I want you to see that. Our obedience coupled with God's power produces miraculous results. And the credit is not ours. It's all God's. Prior to Jonah's arrival, the Assyrians had a, a, experienced a solar eclipse, and it was followed by a famine. And both of those were omens of bad things to come. They, they, were already, they already had it in their mind that something bad was going to happen. And... Um, <clears throat> The city had also just become aware that there's three major tribes coming together against them in an alliance to attack. And on top of that, five years prior, they had just gone through two two plagues that had hit, killing tens of thousands. And God had been preparing behind the scenes for the proclamation of his word in Nineveh. And then don't miss this beautiful thing. Because each one of us needs to hear this. God even used Jonah's disobedience to his work. And we need to hear that, not because that's God saying, I need you to go disobey so I can use your disobedience. But that's God saying that in your disobedience, even that I can take and do a miraculous work when you turn back and you're walking in obedience. You see, in Jonah's disobedience, he was swallowed by a, whale, a, a fish. I keep saying whale because some commentators keep calling it a whale. It's not necessarily a whale. The Greek and it just means a very large fish. And we've had other accounts of people being swallowed by fish, by sharks, by whales. And as they spend time in the intestinal area, there's gastric acids working on the body and it, there's accounts of people as they come out, they, they find them still alive. And as they come out, all the hair follicles have been destroyed. So they're hairless permanently. But the gastric as- acids also work against the body in this, that it bleached the body. And many of them... that. We've seen cases of that survived are bleached white permanently. So here comes Jonah, the hairless wonder, white as a sheet in a town that had just gone through several famines, had several bad omens, and now he's preaching destruction. You bet Nineveh was listening. And that's simply because of this. God is at work long before he calls us to go. Sometimes we think God's calling us to go to an impossible place and we think we have to start the work. But God's already at work over there. That's why he's calling us to go. He's calling us to go because there's something he plans to do. And that's because of this. God responds to obedience. God responds to obedience. Look at verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he'd threatened them with, and he did not do it. That's amazing to me. God saw their actions. And we know he saw both their actions. He saw both the wicked actions, because in Jonah 1, he said, I need you to go, and I need you to uh, preach against it, cry out against them, Because their evil, wicked ways have risen up to my eyes. And he's seen their actions now. He's seen that they turned from their evil ways. God saw it all. God sees it all. We were told earlier that they cried out to God earnestly, God heard their cries. I I noticed that it didn't say God heard them, but it says God saw their actions. And here's the truth. We learn this in marriage very quickly. The truth is, words without actions are meaningless. If I say I love my wife, but I don't treat her with love, do I love my wife? No. No. If I speak one way and act a completely different way, it's the actions that show the truth. Jesus spoke to this. Matthew 28, I'm sorry, Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, What do you think? A man has two sons, and he went to the first son, and he said, My son, go work in the vineyard today. And his first son answered, I don't want to. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the man said to the other son, the same thing. And the other son said, I will. But then he didn't go. Which one of the two did his father's will? And they answered, the first. Jesus said, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you because they were called to give the message of God to the people and they were refusing to do it. Even though they, they, as Pharisees they said, here I am Lord, use me, I wanna be a religious leader. But they're not leading the people anywhere. And this speaks a lot of comfort to me in this. I might start off in disobedience to God, but when I turn in obedience, I'm now doing the will of the Father. Because I have a new beginning. Because he's put me on that new path. And God sees the actions. God sees the turning. God sees that. And he responds to that. The actions of Nineveh demonstrated the truth of their crying out. How deep was their spiritual experience? Repentance and faith. They're the basic conditions for salvation. Acts 20, 21. What must I do to be saved? Repent and believe. So we have every reason to believe Nineveh was accepted by God. Jesus used the Ninevites to shame the unbelieving Jews and provide further evidence that the response in Nineveh was genuine. We looked at that last week on Easter. And because they repented, God relented. God ceased from doing Some Bible versions say repented, but I think relented is a much better word to use there because we think of repentance in the terms of which we must do it, in which we're sorry for what we did. But the word actually used is that the relenting, the changing, it's a gracious act. God doesn't have to be sorry for what he was going to do. He just stopped what he was going to do because of something else. You see, God relented from bringing the promised disaster and He didn't do it. God was responding to a man's change of heart, which that has always been what God responds to. Doesn't matter how much we sacrifice to the Lord, it doesn't matter how much we bring before the Lord. If we don't bring a broken and contrite heart, He doesn't care. The sacrifice that the Lord finds acceptable is a broken and contrite heart. So seeing their repentant actions, God relented on the destruction. He spared Jonah in chapter 2. And Jonah repented, and God relented from what he was doing with Jonah. And in chapter 3, he's sparing Nineveh. And we need to understand this truth. God's mercies, they're always unmerited. His grace can never be earned. We do not repent and make God an obligator, uh, uh, obligated to, to do anything. We repent because that's what God has asked us to do. It's never a work to be rewarded, but that doesn't mean that God does not act in response to repentance. And God did act miraculously in response to the repentance of Nineveh. You see, Nineveh, in their repentance, the destruction was postponed for another 150 years. That generation that Jonah spoke to, that Jonah shared that message with, that heard and believed the word of God and acted according to it, that generation was spared. God's threatened punishment provides a backdrop to etch his forgiveness and mercy. Think about it this way If there was no judgment at the end of our life, at the end of all time, you weren't going to have to give an account for your sin, what's the point of being forgiven for our sins? It's the backdrop of the truth of the judgment coming and saying that we're guilty in our sins before God that makes it all the more glorious that Jesus came and died on the cross so that we have forgiveness of our sins. That's the grace and mercy of God against the backdrop of the judgment, which is also true. But in that, see this. God stands ready to forgive. Ready to relent on a wicked and reluctant people. I mean, we're gonna read in the book of Nahum how terrible Nineveh truly was. And yet, as they repented and as they turned, God was there ready to forgive them. And I want you to know that if you're in a spot where you find yourself in disobedience, God is not waiting to punish you. What he's doing is he's ready and waiting to receive you in forgiveness, mercy, and grace, but only if you humble yourself. Through Nineveh, God showed his readiness to forgive and all at the same time showed Israel that her coming judgment in God's hand wasn't because he was unwilling to forgive. It's because Israel would remain unrepentant. One test for our relationship with God is if God speaks to us as we read his word and meditate upon it, does God speak to us when we come to his word? Does his word speak to us? If we don't hear God speaking to our heart, perhaps it's a sign that we need to turn back and, and, and repent and obey his word. The truth is, the Christian life, it's a victorious life. Anybody who says that they live a defeated life as a Christian is living it wrong. The Christian life is a victorious life, and it's lived through a series of new beginnings. Because we're going to fall... We're gonna stumble, we're gonna mess up, we're gonna walk in disobedience for a little bit and we're gonna come back and the Lord's always there ready to turn us, ready to put us back on that second chance. Don't believe the lie that when you fall, you've fallen completely. That your ministry is done, that there's no hope for you. Because our God is a God of second chances and that means you're always... On your first try. Through Jonah's second chance. Notice that Nineveh got a second chance. The Bible's clear that God gives second chances through restoration. But it's not for us to make excuse for sin. That God's just going to forgive us. But that God in his grace forgives. And we're also going to find that sometimes in his sovereignty. He determines that we might reap what we sowed. Many times it will be very costly, but it's still far better to obey than to sacrifice. And repentance believe, begins with believing God. When we believe God, when we believe His Word, we have power to transform our lives as He wills through His Word. You can't believe God apart from the Word of God, you can't trust God apart from His Word. Real revival, real repentance begins with God's word and that's why we preach God's word is because people need to hear God's word and respond to God's word through the Holy Spirit applying God's word. The Ninevites took the message of Jonah seriously. They responded wholeheartedly and I see a couple of reasons why. The first one is because Jonah's message was simple. It It was the message that God gave him. He didn't try to change the message. He didn't try to do anything with it. He preached God's word. Don't get hung up on apologetics. Don't get hung up on theologies. Don't get hung up on thinking that you have to answer all of the questions of everybody because nobody has ever been persuaded into heaven through great arguments. It's always been the word of God applied to the heart of man through the Holy Spirit. And number two... It's because Jonah's message was real. Sometimes as believers, we think we have to put on a show and an act that we're perfect, that we're put together, that we don't have problems and we don't struggle. Because if we don't do that, who's gonna want Christ? If he doesn't solve problems, who wants Christ? But the truth is, it's our failures, It's our mistakes coupled with God's grace and mercy in and through them that attracts people, that brings people, that makes people go, I need that, that's what I need. God, where are you? I need you, God. It's the scarring in our life. It's the bleaching in our life. It's the pain that says we've been in the pit, but I'm alive because God is merciful and gracious. Because that's the message that says he can still use me and he can still use you. And let me tell you this, if he can still use me, he definitely can still use you. And we also need to understand that repentance comes without excuse. You cannot repent to God and say, I'm sorry God that I did this, but it's because, because excuses only seek to justify our sin and none of our sins will ever be justified. When we come to God in repentance, cry for mercy, not justice. Because it is just and it would be justice if we were all condemned to hell. But God in his mercy and rich in his grace sent his son to come and die on the cross that we might be forgiven for our sins. Under his mercy and escape the justice. Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon and we just thank you for your word. And, and Father, I, I pray that you help us to, to walk in your word, Father God, in obedience to your word, in obedience to what you call from us. Father, that maybe maybe we're here right now and we've been walking in disobedience. We've been afraid to come back because we don't want to hear that you've you're done with us, that you've rejected us, Father God. May we hear and and see through Jonah's example and through what your spirit is saying to us, Father, that you're not waiting to reject us, you're waiting to receive us. And that as we turn back to you and we choose to follow you in obedience once again, Lord, you pick us up and you put us there and you start us afresh, you start us brand new. For we know that your word teaches that all who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. We know that you are a God in which the old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us and that you would reveal to us in our hearts where we are walking disobedient and you can turn us back to obedience, Father God. And that as we turn in obedience we walk in your way that we would see your power unleashed in our life. Father, that begins with believing your word, which says that all who call upon the name of Jesus Christ shall be forgiven of their sins, shall receive salvation. As many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God. They received the promise of eternal life. And it's first and foremost upon that promise, upon that word of yours, that we stake our claim of faith, that we trust you, that we believe you, that we're coming to you, Father God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.